Hey everyone, I'm Michelle Saul, the Artistic Director of Hack Theatre. This is an episode of our new podcast series where we're discussing issues around what the current COVID-19 outbreak means for migrants, refugees and other marginalised communities at this time, with leading experts across the migrant support, legal and political sectors. Today, I'm joined by Zoe Gardner at the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, who is going to speak to us today about some of the key issues affecting the lives of migrants as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. Zoe was one of our expert panellists after Border Control at the Vault Festival in March. Thank you for joining us today, Zoe. So, Zoe, since we last chatted, um, there's been an ongoing court case, uh, you've mentioned, uh, about the government's right to rent checks and racial discrimination in the housing sector. So what does what does this kind of mean? Like, what does this mean right now? What's kind of coming out of that? Right, so this is um, the government's appeal in the Court of Appeal that um, has come out just last week. Um, and it's, it's quite a disappointing judgment, actually, because we, mm -hmm. didn't, we didn't win the appeal. We won in the High Court last year, um, where the judge found that the right to rent checks, which is part of the government's hostile environment policies, um, yep. they force landlords who are renting out their properties to do immigration checks on their tenants. Yeah. Um, so last year in the High Court, um, we argued that these checks are causing landlords to discriminate on the basis of race and nationality. So basically, if you're a landlord, um, you have, you know, however many people who want to rent your flat or your house, um, and you know that you can be fined or even sent to jail if you rent to somebody who doesn't have the right immigration status. So instead of even bothering to check anybody's immigration status, you will go for the person who can either present a British passport or who looks and sounds to you yeah. as British. Um, so we, we showed that in the High Court. The High Court agreed that the scheme was causing discrimination and said that it was therefore unlawful um, and in breach of human rights legislation. Um, the government then appealed and unfortunately the grounds on which they've won their appeal is um, really pernicious. It's basically they're saying the, high, the Court of Appeal has said yes again we agree this scheme causes racial discrimination in the housing market. However, that's justified um, for the greater aim of creating a really hostile environment for immigrants. So, oh yeah, we're not very happy with that result. We're pleased that the judge recognised um, our evidence that shows that this scheme is causing racial discrimination, but we're not happy that the court seems to think that it's all right to cause racial discrimination. And that's really relevant right now because we're seeing how um, BME members of our population are potentially suffering more from the coronavirus outbreak. And one of the factors, there'll be lots of socioeconomic factors that are going into that, but one of the factors will be poorer quality housing because that has lots of impacts on health. It can um, exacerbate underlying health conditions and so on. And so when the judge found that BME applicants were going to be spending about twice as long to find housing as white British applicants yeah. in the UK. And we know that the, this is part of what is disadvantaging people and part of what is causing a disproportionate amount of deaths from COVID-19. Gosh, I mean, so like, I mean, to a much less extent, a couple of years ago, um, when me and my partner, so we were in Norwich, and this one day I got this letter from our estate agency. And it was, um, you, uh, your visa expired, um, you know, we have on our records, you have 14 days to tell us uh, whether your visa has been renewed or uh, we will uh, inform you to the Home Office. And I was just, I was 
in so shock. I was so shocked. Like my old visa had expired six months ago and I had renewed it. Mm. And I'd never been told that I had to show them a new visa or anything. Mm. And I was like, what if I was out of the country? What if, you know, anything. And especially like, what if English wasn't my first language? Yeah. Like, it's just it's, to report you to the home office. That's really, really like stressful. Yeah. Um, and this is, that's what the hostile environment is designed to create. It's mm. designed to create this environment where even somebody with leave, like you, with every right to rent or, yeah. you know, to access other services, to have this, this um, hostile world that they live in where they're worried that they're not able to access services, where service providers are worried and defensive about offering them services and therefore to make life basically more difficult and impossible if you can't prove your status. Yeah, ab absolutely. And especially like just kind of drawing on your point about the BME um, communities and you know, how, how they're really being disproportionately affected right now. Are you seeing a rise in cases of people coming to you or kind of what, what's happening there? Yes. I mean, we, obviously we um, are dealing with migrants who are at the very front end in many ways of this crisis. So um, migrants work uh, to a disproportionate degree in a lot of the key worker areas. So there's a lot of migrants who are, you know, cleaning our hospital wards, who are delivering our food, who are involved in the production of our food, you know, making sure that the country stays fed, stays, you know, healthy, hygienic, all this stuff. Obviously, there are also doctors and nurses, you know, huge numbers of them in the NHS. So a lot of migrants are facing these situations, but they're also more at risk than the rest of the population because of um, the hostile environment and these unfair visa conditions. So a lot of migrants, almost, well, like hundreds of thousands of migrants will have no recourse to public funds condition on their visa, which means that they can't access benefits, which means if they are laid off because of this epidemic, because there's no work, then they will be destitute. There's no, there's no benefits that they can access. There's no state social security net for them. And that's completely unfair. Yeah. And I mean, do do you see there being maybe any relaxing of those laws? Like, you know, if immigrants are here on visas, um, are, are they able to access those benefits at all? Well, the, th the problem is, is that the government's response and the Home Office response has been completely piecemeal. So yeah. we have asked for um, wide ranging automatic suspension of various harmful measures. We've asked them to suspend no recourse to public funds conditions entirely for everybody. We've asked them to suspend charging for NHS services that applies to a lot of migrants. We've asked them to stop sharing data between the NHS and immigration enforcement so that migrants don't have to be afraid of getting deported if they access healthcare that they vitally need. All of those would, in a blanket way, cover everybody and protect all of us. Um, but what the government has done instead is sort of picked out little areas to make small changes that have been poorly communicated and aren't going to actually help everybody. So they've refused so far to lift NRPF conditions, no request to public funds, but they've said, oh, you can continue to apply to change your conditions. Well, that's fine, but it's not going to reach everybody. The process for applying is very complicated and long. And also, once you apply, there's all these sort of cruel twists in the system. Once you apply to change your conditions, so you, you prove that you're destitute and that you need access to public funds, which is a difficult thing to do, you then get shunted over from a five-year route that you're on to residency to a 10-year route. And your previous 
residency in the UK does not count. So you start again, no. you arrive that day onto a 10 year route. It needs to be renewed every two and a half years and you have to pay the fees every time. So you're talking about tens of thousands of pounds to eventually you know, get, get a settled status in the UK just because you were able to prove that you desperately needed the state security net. It's absolute cruelty yeah. and it's, it's unnecessary. They could make yeah. these simple automatic changes to benefit everybody in society, but they won't do it. Yeah, and I mean, especially at this time, I mean, at any time, I mean, you know, I, I personally think that people should have access to public funds, you know, especially if they're here, they're working, they're, you know, doing, doing what they can, contributing to society, all of this, and everyone does. So this is just absolutely mad. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that if they were to, if, if someone was to say, yes, I absolutely need these funds, I'm on a 10 year route now. Because even I've kind of tried to look into, you know, the five year route and seeing, you know, I've got a sister with disability back in Australia. And it's like, I would need to be on a five year route in order to get permanent residency to bring her over if I had to at any point. So I can imagine as well, a lot of these people would have dependent families and be hoping for that to happen. I mean, do you, how do you see um, families at, at this time? Being well, one of the key issues that we're seeing families is around the minimum income requirement. So we've had a, a big increase of people contacting us because their work has decreased or they've been furloughed. So they're only earning 80% um, of their normal salary or you know, other, other things like that. And that means that they're not going to reach the minimum income threshold to sponsor the visa for their partner. So you have to be rich enough uh, that, you know, this government says is enough um, in order to be able to live with your husband or wife and your children from overseas in this country, which is one of the cruelest things that we do yeah. is to separate families like this on the basis of what they earn. So people who are impacted, that, whose earnings are impacted by this crisis, are really worried that when they go to renew their spouse's visa, they're going to be told, well, you didn't reach the income threshold and therefore, you know, that their families are going to get torn apart. And there's been no concrete response from the government on this. You know, they, they just simply won't respond to, to all these people who are, who are absolutely devastated at the prospect and who obviously are going to be working whether or not it's safe because they're more concerned about keeping their families together and making sure that they reach this arbitrary threshold. Absolutely. And it feels like, I guess, maybe people don't know about what is happening. You know, of course, if it's not within your immediate reality, you don't know that so many people are, are suffering from this. Like even when uh, border control was on, people would say, I don't understand. Like if you're married, surely you should just come over here. And it's amazing having to even explain that process. I mean, do you think in terms of that process, do you think COVID-19 will shift people's opinions and make people think about migration at all? I think we, we do have an opportunity here for people to gain a bit more of an understanding. I think it's a, it's a huge um, shift in how people are thinking, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the one hand, we're learning to understand how much we depend on one another and how much you know, none of us are safe unless the most vulnerable among us is safe. We're only as safe as the one who is most at risk, right? Because if that person stacks our shelves, we're at risk too, right? Yeah. 
Um, so people are starting to understand how we're connected to each other. And at the same time, people are, you know, hearing these stories about migrant health workers and, and, and um, key workers on the front line and the, the understanding you know, the contribution that the so-called low-skilled workers, you know, the, the immigrants that this government has said that it doesn't want in the country, that it doesn't want a route for them to be able to come here. People are seeing the, the contribution that they make and the importance that these people have to our lives. Mm. Um, so I believe that it will be difficult for the government to continue on its extremely strict and, and draconian approach that it's had up until now. But the problem is that, yeah, and up until this point, the government seems to be still prioritizing immigration enforcement over the protection of all our lives. Um, and until that shift is fundamentally made that the most important thing is to protect public health and that that comes first before the hostile environment, then we're all going to continue to be at risk. Um, and, and that really will need a lot more pressure. People are starting to change their minds. People are starting to recognize the contribution of migrant key workers, but we need to capitalize on this moment and really push it forward. Yeah, how can we do this? How can we capitalize? Um, I think that it's, it's a really important time to look into which, um, you know, which services are supporting, especially, you know, undocumented or particularly vulnerable destitute migrants in your local area. I know that in London, there's lots of groups that are still looking for donations um, to support people. There's, um, so there's ways that you can help in that way, but also to change the conversation in general, I would say, you know, get on your email and write an email to your MP. It will take you two minutes and you say like, this is incredibly important to you. It's wrong that key workers have been categorized as low skilled. It's wrong that we're um, refusing people healthcare. You know, the, the only way that this will change is if MPs think that the votes are no longer in it. And actually the, the stats are really encouraging on that. Immigration is no longer an issue of very serious concern for the vast majority of the country. It's dropped to like number 11 on the list of priorities of what people care about. And people caring about immigration is a bad thing, by the way, because <laughs> they care is in a bad way. Um, so actually the evidence is, is that this, this mandate that the government's been sort of touting um, as to why it's, it's got this incredibly tough approach to immigration, oh, people want to see less immigration and so on. It's actually falling to pieces and we need to really make that clear. And um, we need to speak up as much as we possibly can, even if it's just to say, look, I don't care. I think the key workers should be able to be here. They should be able to access healthcare. And that's just not my priority right now and it shouldn't be the government's, you know. That, that message needs to go loud and clear because there are elements on the right in this country who are really trying to push this to, to fit their agenda. This crisis needs to fit their agenda of being anti-migrants. And it's migration that's bringing these, uh, this disease and so on, which absolutely isn't true. Absolutely. Um, so it's very, very crucial that at this point, everybody raises their voice, gets in touch with their MPs, supports organizations that are doing this work, um, mm -hmm. because we really have a chance to push it in the other direction. Yeah, I think as well in this, it's, you know, just listening to what you were saying, language is such an important thing right now. And, and I think you're absolutely right. This is not a migrant disease. This is just, it is a disease. It's a pandemic. That's it. We don't need to put any other values or labels or anything else on that. So I think hopefully people listening to this as well can just definitely challenge anyone who is saying some stuff it's like it's not that this is just a virus that happened to have come out of china absolutely and we're all you know um the world is 
interconnected now in ways that simply um, do mean that these things can travel internationally, just like bank transfers can travel internationally, um, clothing and products and food can travel internationally. These things will continue to travel. These diseases and these threats continue to travel internationally. That's not the fault of migration. That's simply the fact that we live in an interconnected world now. Um, And, you know, most of the people arriving at our borders, you know, every day are people here for business or leisure travel. And that's right that there should be controls in the sense that they should probably be tested or quarantined. And we would support that, but that's not the same as closing borders to immigration or closing down routes to immigration because migration is not actually what is causing this um, this health threat. And as we've spoken about you know, at length, migrant workers are part of our community and part of the effort that is going to keep our society together through this pandemic. Absolutely. And I think it's, they're part of our fabric and it's to get rid of that thread. You're going to destroy the whole thing, really. So um, thank you so much for coming to the end of our discussion. But I just want to ask ask one more question. Um, And I think I know what your answer to this is going to be. But uh, Boris Johnson in particular has said that COVID-19 is a great leveler. It is, do you think that is harmful? to those who are significantly more vulnerable, such as immigrants? Yes, I think that it's important to recognize that the disease can impact all of us, and that's why we all need protection. So in that sense, it is universal. But migrants, um, as I say, many uh, legal migrants and also all undocumented migrants do not have access to free healthcare, um, do not have safe access to healthcare at all, because as I said, it might bring down immigration enforcement on them, right? So if you can't access the doctor and you can't go to a hospital, you're obviously at far greater risk from this virus. And again, as I mentioned earlier, if you're a BME person who's been discriminated against in the housing market, and thus, you know, have, there's a structural problem with BME people having um, less desirable, spacious, you know, well-appointed housing, um, then you're more at risk again. So this idea that it's a great leveler, yes, we are all in this together in one sense, but we're not equally protected and that puts us all at risk. So we really need everybody to have safe access to healthcare, safe access to state security, um, social security nets. Um, and, and we need to really, you know, put our money where our mouth is in the government's case when they talk about all being in this together. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, said really well. Thank you. And actually, just one more thing, just in terms of any advice that you've given, I know you've already given such amazing advice already, but is there anything else that you would you would um, guide anyone to, or if there are any immigrants listening to this, what, what they could, what, what people can do? Um, so if you're an immigrant with, um, you know, and you're unsure about your status or, or what your services you're entitled to, um, then I would recommend, um, if you go to JCWI, .org.uk. We have um, on there our uh, helplines that are open three days a week and you can call up with any immigration related questions. We can give you advice um, if you're undocumented, if you're an asylum seeker, anything like that. Um, we can also signpost you on and there's numerous um, organizations that, I mean, obviously if you're undocumented at the moment and you're 
facing um, issues around being able to work um, and therefore you're finding it difficult to feed your family. There are food banks available. We can give you vouchers for the food banks. Um, there are also, um, we're trying to, oh, this is a good one. All the wonderful volunteers who are getting together and self-organizing into groups to bring food or necessities to vulnerable members of their communities, we would ask them to be really careful and aware of um, migration issues. So people who may not be able to access services because of their migration status, for example. So uh, we have a whole fact sheet and to help you out of how to you know, best help migrants in your community if you're doing that. It's available online and maybe we can share it. Yeah, um, no, we'll share all of these links um, at the bottom of our, of the podcast. So that would be great. So like yeah, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put those links there and that's sort of, that gives you a lot of sort of resources for different groups that are helping out migrants if you, if you come across anybody who needs help. But it also gives you just some tips of how not, how to make sure that your services are accessible to everybody, um, regardless of immigration status. Um, you know, because as, as, as the state services should be, but they are not, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely share some resources there and the links below. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Zoe. It was just, yeah, really, really fantastic mm -hmm. to speak to you today. Uh, it's great to talk to people who are like-minded and to get the message out. So hopefully we can make some progress. Let's um, do it. Yeah. <laughs> you All right, catch you later.